here's the great news in that, that even if God does not bring you out of your suffering like you would like, it does not in any way, shape, or form, it does not, hear clearly, it does not in any way, shape, or form diminish the fact that our God is able. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, as we begin to open your word, Father, I just pray that you'd speak. Holy Spirit, will you illuminate? Will you cultivate in our hearts and our minds and our souls right now, oh God, a, a freshness, a zeal, a hunger, a thirst, oh God, for your praise and, and for your glory. So God, we pray that you would raise up disciples that make disciples that make disciples of Jesus like never before today. And God, we'll be quick to give you the praise, to give you the glory. Got to pray, hide me behind the shadows of the cross. Do the work, oh God, and do it now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now take your Bibles and turn to Jude. Jude, looking at verses 24 through 25. We have made it to the end of Jude. Boy, I know you thought we would never get here. We are here. This has been an incredible study. I pray that you've been blessed. I pray that your heart has been challenged. I pray your mind and your soul have been stirred. I pray that as we leave this text today, that we will see very clearly what it means to battle and to contend for the truth. The sermon series that we've talked of as of late has been simply that, and that is battling for the truth. And today the message is entitled, God is Able. Uh, do you believe that God is able? Raise your hand. Amen? I believe that God is able. Matter of fact, I believe this with 100% clarity and certainty that we serve a God, the great God of the Bible, who is not dead, but he's fully alive. Amen? And as we've made it to the end of this glorious, glorious 25 verses of this small book in the Bible, but yet so power-packed, so action-punched, if you will, that it hits us right between the teeth, or right between the eyes, in a good way, that we're awakened, that our hearts and minds again are stirred, that we're no longer sleeping, but we are fresh and living for Christ will be our prayer. And so as we unpack these verses together, here it is, Jude 24 through 25, I, I pray you have a Bible open in front of you right now. Here's what the Word of God says. Jude 24 through 25, now to him, capital H, who is able to do what? To keep you from stumbling and to, don't miss this church, to present you faultless, praise be to Jesus, before the presence of his glory, capital H, with what? Exceeding joy. Now look at verse 25. To God our Savior, capital S, 
who alone, here it goes, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever, amen, amen, and amen. What a glorious, glorious passage we just read. This benediction is one of the most magnificent doxologies in all of Scripture. Jude has been up in our business for 21 verses. Remember back in verse 3, he said, look, I was going to write to you about this common salvation, but wait a minute, warning, 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 got to switch gears. I want you to contend. I want you to, to fight for the faith. Don't sit on your hands. Don't be spiritually asleep at the wheel. Jude says, here, i got to warn you about these apostates, about these folks that are abandoning the faith, and they're going to try to drag you down as well. And now, all of a sudden, he switches gears. After 21 verses of just bam, bam, bam. Now, 24 and 25, he just brings it all to a crescendo. Puts a big red bow on the package. And he reminds me and you who are truly in Christ the reality of that blessed hope, amen? What a glorious reality for you today who are listening that when you are truly in Christ, that it's real, it's not false, it's not a charade, it's true, it's lasting. If that's you here listening today, here's the deal. The reality of that hope is beyond human explanation. It's a peace and a contentment and a joy that surpasses all human understanding. It can never be compared in the finite human mind. Jesus, again, is not just a option. He's not just the best option. No, Jesus is the only option. And here Jude reminds us of this. When he says these words in 24 that we'll unpack together right now. Now to him, capital H, who is what? Who is able to do what? To keep you from stumbling. Now to him, do you see the shift of the focus? Do you see where he's going with this? He's saying, look, wait a minute. I know I've been talking about the apostates for 21 verses. I get it. I see that I've been drilling down on this really, really hard, Jude saying. But now Jude says, look, I want you to shift your gaze. I want you to aim your arrows. I want you to look heavenward. I want you to put the focus on the most preeminent issue there is in our culture today and the most preeminent, most pressing issue in our culture today and the culture that was in his day as well is simply this. It's all about God and his glory and what he's able to do. In other words, you could say it like this. He's saying, look, listen up. Listen up. Listen up to what's going on, he's saying. Jude's saying, take your eyes off of everything else and just focus on the one. Focus on the one who, yes, is able, but don't just focus on that he's able. Focus that he's the one. In other words, don't focus on things that are seen. Focus on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen or temporal, they're passing away. 
but the things that are unseen are eternal. Focus on God, His glory, His praise, what He's trying to accomplish for the fame of His name, and oh, by the way, now to Him who is able. No one is able like our God. Our God is the only one who's truly able. And what I believe Jude is really drilling down deep into is saying, look, there's no longer this self-actualization. Crumple that piece of paper up and put that in the trash. There's no longer meology. It's theology. God-centeredness, God-focused, being so focused on God that nothing else even matters. And as we focus on God and we look to him and we put him in the rightful place where he belongs, that's he's here and we're way down here, what happens? We begin to see him in the light of his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence. We begin to see how great he really is, how vast and glorious he really is. And oh, by the way, how able he really is. So what does Jude mean when he says, now to him who is able? Well, think about this. What does it mean to be able? Right now in your mind's eye, you're probably thinking of several things, what it means to be able. But in this original language, we see here very clearly that to be able is literally to have absolute power. It's the dunamai, it's the dynamite, if you will. When you think about dynamite and the explosive power, that the ability for dynamite to be set into a rock on a hillside to explode and to completely, I mean completely, eradicate and devastate that hillside because of its power. That's the imagery that Jude is trying to paint here. When he says, now to God who is able, now to Jesus Christ who is able, now by the power of the Holy Spirit who he is able, when Jude is talking about the power of our great God, here's what he is saying. He's saying, look, there is nothing there is nothing on this earth that in any way, shape, or form can be God's rival because God is the creator, God is the sustainer, God is the originator, God has the power, oh, by the way, now to him who is able, as he has the spiritual dynamite that can break every chain, that can free you from the pit of despair, that can bring you out of the dark night of the soul that you wonder if you will ever escape from. Perhaps you're here today and every time you turn around, you see a light at the end of your tunnel and every time you see it, you think it's a freight train coming your way. Oh, I know this, that our God's grace is deeper still no matter where you are today, on the mountain, in the valley, somewhere in between, going out of, going into, whatever it may look like in your world today, whatever mail that we could be reading and you might be saying, wait a minute, you're reading my mail. That's where I am. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I don't get it. I don't understand how a good God would allow me 
to suffer like I'm suffering. Here's the great news in that, that even if God does not bring you out of your suffering like you would like, it does not in any way, shape, or form, it does not, hear clearly, it does not in any way, shape, or form diminish the fact that our God is able. And He's able to do whatever He pleases to do. Because He is not confined by space, nor time, nor by ability, because He's simply God. Now to Him who is able. When is the last time that you just simply begin to praise His name because you know He's able? Not that He's going to go your way necessarily, but when is the last time that you simply just hit the deck, fell on your face, and said, look God, I know this, this is what I want to happen in my life, But even if you don't bring it to pass, I know this, that you're able. That your power is the most infinite spiritual dynamite there is. And I know you're able, my God. When's the last time you showered him with that type of praise? When's the last time that I showered him with that type of praise? Well, if I'm honest, one of my struggles is when things aren't going well. I don't default to showering him with praise. I typically default to begging him to get me out of the issue. And Jude is saying here, look, there's all kinds of apostates around in my day. And as he sent this letter forward to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we could amen. There's many apostates and false teachers and false converts in our day as well. And Jude says, don't focus on what's going on of all the negativity in the world. Focus on the one who's able. Cast your mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. Turn your gaze towards heaven. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Plant your feet on the solid rock. And you will truly know that your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Now to Him who is able, absolute power, nothing hinders Him, nothing confines Him, What is he able to do? Well, not a trick question. Obviously, the cliff notes are he's able to do whatever he wants. But what is Jude specifically speaking of in this instance? Now, to him who is able to keep you. Keep you from what? Keep you from stumbling. What does it mean to keep something or someone? What does that mean? Perhaps you're thinking right now that when you keep someone, that you have them close by, that when you keep someone, that that you are guarding. Uh, Those things are very good definitions. Matter of fact, the original language just expands on those two definitions, and it means this in this context, that when Jude is saying, now to him, now to God who is able, now to Jesus Christ who is able, now to the Holy Spirit's power who is able... He's able to keep you. He's able to guard you. He's able to keep you close. But it goes even deeper. He's able to preserve you. 
Wow. What does it mean to preserve someone or something? Like I can remember being a boy and my grandma would make those strawberry preserves. And they'd be down in the, the basement. And of course, we'd love to put that on toast. We can slather anything on toast and it tastes good, doesn't it? You got preserves and you got all kinds of stuff fluff and, and whatever else you want to slather on there to doctor up toast. Otherwise, it's almost like eating packing material, isn't it? Those preserves were amazing because you could take the fruit, the strawberry, or whatever it might be, and it would be preserved in that canister, in that jar. Take that to the infinite extreme. Now to Him. Now to our great God who's able. He's able with dynamite, spiritual dynamite. To keep us, to, to guard us, to protect us, to preserve us. From what? From stumbling. What does that mean? Well, it simply means this, to keep us from falling. But then it goes deeper in a spiritual context to keep us from sinning. The sinning regarding apostating. Remember the whole context of the short book of Jude is about apostasy, abandoning the Christian faith, walking away from that profession, saying, no, I raised the hand, said the prayer, did the cartwheel, signed the card, got dunked, but it was all a sham. I fooled everybody, especially myself. It wasn't real. Because when it's real, Scripture is clear, you will endure to the end. When it's real, Scripture declares that we are literally sealed for the day of redemption. That king in that day long time ago would take that signet ring, he would dip it in the hot wax, he would fold over the letter, he would seal the letter with his insignia. And when you got the letter with the king's insignia, oh, it said, look, wait a minute, there is royal authority here. What's inside this letter is true, it's real, it's authenticated, it will come to pass. Take that to the infinite extreme. When your life has truly been given to Christ, you are sealed by the greatest king there ever is. His name is Jesus. He takes his signet ring. He doesn't dip it in hot wax. Oh, no. He goes so much greater than that. He dips it in his royal righteous blood. He takes that ring and he dips it in his blood, in his righteousness, in his imputing and toning blood, and he dips it in there and he places it on the envelope of your life so that everyone will know that regardless of what you've done, your past has been redeemed. No matter what you are currently doing, as you repent from that, your present is redeemed. As you go forth and you want to live in Christ, even though we still stumble from time to time and we do sin, we don't do so on a habitual basis because the old man, the old woman is dead. All things have become new. He has made 
made us alive in him. He's raised us up to the heavenly places. Oh, by the way, did I mention this has all been authenticated by Jesus taking his ring and dipping it in his blood and sealing you forevermore. I don't know about you, but I would say based on that, our great God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, by the empowering the Holy Spirit, is more than able. Now to Him who is able to keep you, to protect you, to guard you, to preserve you from stumbling, from sinning to the extent that you walk away from the profession of the Christian faith. Oh, we do stumble. I do. I struggle. I'm in this body of death. There's so many days I do the things I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But praise, but praise be to God for the work that he did on the cross, that in spite of my sin, in spite of my struggles, that I stumble forward. I don't stumble backwards. I stumble forward. And I'm being made and fashioned into the likeness of Jesus. And I pray that you are too. I pray that in the midst of your brokenness right now, that you could truthfully say that you don't have it all together like I don't, but you serve the one who does named Jesus like I'm doing. And I pray we rest in that together, church, that we look to him who is able. Remember I gave you that illustration before of in the complaining part of the text that Jude was referring to previously that often we do begin to mumble and then we grumble and then we fumble and then we stumble. But if we're not careful, it's not a stumbling that leads to repentance, but it's a stumbling that leads to a crumbling where we drive off the spiritual cliff never to repent, never to come back to the Lord in that profession we once made. See, repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance is a lifetime thing. You just don't repent when you're six years old by walking an aisle, getting wet, getting baptized, saying the prayer, raising the hand, doing all the external, oh, I repented. Boy, I'm so glad I got that over with as a child at six. Now I can just go live how I want to live. This is not how this works. The true believer in Christ who is kept from stumbling, from apostating through sin, is one who desires Jesus more than anything else. This is one who desires Jesus more than cohabitating with the world. This is one that says, I want Jesus more than hanging on to my sin. That's what Jude is communicating here. And that's why key number one, I want you to write this down, key number one. Look to Christ, comma, 
Abide in Christ, comma, and He will keep you from stumbling. Let me say that again. Write it down. Key number one. Look to Christ, abide in Christ, and He, not me, not you, not your spouse, not your mom, not your dad, not your teacher, not your coach, but He, Jesus, God our Father, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, the triune Godhead, will keep us from stumbling. Because it's only through God that we have any hope of not stumbling. See, there's something about the allures of this life. They're so gravitational. They're so attractional. It's so easy to drink the Kool-Aid of sin if we're not careful. And I'm reminded as I look at this text here in front of me right now that we have to remember that Jude actually started the letter in verse 1 with this context that we are preserved in Christ. I find that very intriguing. There in verse 1, he's talking about that we've been preserved in Christ. And now he's ending the letter that we are kept by Christ's power, that we are guarded by Christ's power, that we are preserved by Christ's power through our great God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Two wonderful bookends. Preserved in Christ, verse 1. Kept by His power. Here in verse 24, at the end of the book. Now, does this mean that there's no effort then on our part to walk in holiness? Is that what he means here? Is he saying here that there's zero effort on our part to walk in holiness? Is that what he's saying? Of course not. Of course there's effort. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, James tells us. You know what's so interesting as I think through those comments that I just made? I've never, not once, I've never counseled a man who totally ruined his life, completely destroyed his marriage, literally devastated his children, and came to the conclusion that I spent way too much time looking towards God, His Son, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I've never met one man. Hey, tell me how you got in this mess here. I see you've destroyed your marriage, your own life. You lost your job. You don't have any finances because of all this sin in your life. Your children hate you. And let me get this straight. You've arrived in this situation because you've loved Jesus too much. Of course that hasn't happened. It's just the complete opposite. The men that I've talked to that have walked that road have been lovers of themselves. They've loved the world. They've totally forsaken Jesus. And they've ended up in this cul-de-sac of life going nowhere other than just simply down. One man said it like this, and he said it so well. 
Keeping us spiritually safe is God's work, praise God. But you can always tell the people He is working in because they are also working, end quote. Not working for salvation. It's by grace we've been saved. But this sanctification thing does have salvific works that follow. We can pretend like it doesn't. We can act like it doesn't. We most likely want to say it doesn't because we still want to hang on to our sin. The reality is this. When my life and your life are no longer our own, we want to please him who took our place. And his name is Jesus. That's why we got to preach to ourselves day by day that we die daily to self we got to preach to ourselves day by day that it's all about Him because He's the one that's able, not us. Think about these supporting verses. Isaiah 45, verse 22. Write that down. Isaiah 45, verse 22. Look to me, God says, and be saved, be rescued, be transformed. All you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Did you catch that? Isaiah 45, 22. God is saying here, not by suggestion, but by command. Look to me, God says. Look here, focus on me. Jude was saying that to him who is able. Jude is pointing the picture to him. He's like that guy on the tarmac of the airport with the little orange batons, and he's pointing the way. That's what Jude is doing. He's pointing the way. Isaiah the prophet through the Holy Spirit is speaking here as God says, look to me. Look to me and be rescued, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. How about John 15, 5? John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. Not the other way around. He who abides is tethered to, remains in me, who's anchored in me. And I in him also bears much what? Fruit. For without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Here's the cliff notes on that one. Without Jesus, you can't do jack. Without Jesus, man, we're all a hopeless mess. And the key on this is not striving to do more. The key in this is to abide in Jesus the vine. When we abide in him, that's where we bear much fruit. We don't bear much fruit by just working in our own strength. That doesn't bear fruit. That bears exhaustion and frustration. But when we abide in Christ and we stay focused on Him, that's when we bear the fruit. If everyone today listening just simply abides in Jesus and that's all you do for the rest of your life, our world will experience revival like never before. Because here's the reality. You're on a fool's errand if you are trying to keep to guard, to protect, and to preserve yourself. You're on a fool's errand. It won't happen. That's why Christ must be everything in my life, and He must be everything in your life. Everything. How about John 17, the high priestly prayer? John 17, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, Jesus says, I kept them. Here we go again. In your name. Those who you gave me, 
I have kept, Jesus says. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Did you see that? Did you see that in John 17, the high priestly prayer? This keeping that Jude is talking about in verse 24 of Jude 24. Do you see this? Do you see this, church? God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is enabled and He is able to keep us from stumbling. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. So what does the remaining part of verse 24 say? Well, we know that God through Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit is, is able to keep us. Check. Awesome. Praise Jesus. Everyone raises a hand on that one. And then what does Jude say? Well, here's the remaining part of 24. And to present you faultless. Oh, I love that. Before the presence of His glory... With what? With exceeding joy. And to present you. This is the miracle of salvation. I hope you're getting this. This is awesome stuff here. He's able to present us faultless. See, before we give our lives to Christ, we are children of wrath. We're walking in disobedience. We're walking in complete and total darkness. We're slaves to sin. We're slaves to the enemy of self. Enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Man, we are enemies upon enemies, aren't we? And then, as we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and Christ imputes, He transfers His righteousness to us. He says, here, let me put you under my righteousness. You give me your sin. It's called the great exchange. As this happens, here's the beauty of this. We are now under His blood. And when God looks at me and you who are truly under the blood of Jesus, here's what happens. He has to look through the blood to get to us. And when he looks through the blood to get to us, we are now presented as though we've never sinned. We are presented faultless. And that's a hallelujah, shouting time moment, amen? Present. What does that mean? It means to hold up. It means to make able to stand. He presents us. He holds us up. He stands us up. We're so weak in our sin. We're so broken and depraved in our wickedness that when He, Jesus, takes over our life, we are now able to stand. We now have strength that the vine has given us. We are now abiding in the true vine, Jesus and Him alone, and we're able to flourish. We're able to stand. We now have a spine of spiritual titanium. We won't bend. We don't buckle. We don't break. 
we stand tall for the gospel as we are presented. Did you notice that? We don't present ourselves. Oh, no, no, no. Don't go down that rabbit trail. Pride cometh before the fall, amen? Oh, we don't present ourselves. We got nothing good to present. On our best day, we're just filthy, stinking rags is all we are. And that's on our best day. Imagine what it's like on our worst day. See, and that's why being presented is so, so critical. God, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, presents us. He says, look, look what I have. But how does he do this? Does he just present us? Is that all he does? What does the text say? It says here in my Bible that I love this. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Don't miss this church with exceeding joy. In other words, what he's saying is this. He presents unblemished, without blame, without spot, without fault, completely pure. Is that not glorious? When he presents us that we stand, that we lean on him, on his blood, on Christ's righteousness, as we lean into him, as we press into him, we are now standing, we are presented, we are held up as though we've never sinned. Wow, what an amazing miracle. That is the miracle of salvation, that we are presented faultless. Because I don't know about you, but I know this, I'm guilty. I know this, that I'm wicked in my flesh. I know this, I'm depraved in my flesh. I know this, I struggle. And there's a war going on in my body of death. And yet, even in spite of that, as I've been redeemed, as prayerfully you have been redeemed. Oh, I pray that we understand that we don't continue in sin no longer. Of course we don't, as Paul said. Do we go on sinning that grace may abound? Certainly not. But what we do do is this. We rest in the glorious truth that we now have been made worthy. We are now a child, a son and daughter, an heir of the king, and his name is Jesus. But aren't you glad that as Jude was writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he didn't just stop with, hey, you're presented and faultless, although that's glorious, but look at the tag that is put on here. And to present you, verse 24 of Jude, faultless, how, why? Before the presence of his glory, of his doxa, here we go, with exceeding joy. Think about this, before his presence, his glory with exceeding joy. Here's what's trying to be communicated, and I pray that I can paint the picture for you today. This joy that is exceeding is exaltation that is literally out of this world. I mean, this is joy unspeakable. This is a joy that is satisfied in Christ and only in Him. If we're looking for true joy, 
We can only have true biblical joy when it's based on Jesus. Amen? That word joy, the acronym, J-O-Y, Jesus, J. Others, O, you, me, Y, last. In that order. Don't mess up the order. If Jesus is second on your list, if Jesus is second on your food chain, if Jesus is second in your world, you will not have true joy. It's impossible. Won't happen. It's Jesus first. It's others second. And it's me and you last in that order. See, that's true joy. That's true exaltation. But I want to make sure we understand this. Jude is just not saying that we will have joy. No, look at the context here. We will have joy, by the way, won't we? Amen? Oh, we will have joy as we're presented faultless. There's no greater joy than that. But he says this in 24 again of Jude, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Don't miss this. God our Father, through Jesus Christ our Son, through the Holy Spirit, the three in one, here's what happens. We are presented by Christ with joy. Like he has joy. He has joy that he's presenting us faultless. Here, look, Father. Look, Dad. Look what I have. It's faultless because my blood covers their sin. See, we have this unspeakable joy as we are satisfied in Christ alone, but also He in us. Does that not just boggle anyone else's mind besides me? See, I know how wicked I am. I know my struggles. I know the heartache and the pain and the challenges. And through my finite human lens, it's hard to understand how my Savior Jesus can look at me with unspeakable joy and present me faultless to the Father. And yet we know from Scripture, as we've just read, that this is exactly what happens. He loves us so much that He not only died for us, that there is great joy in the offering. There is great joy in the pain and the blood that He shed and endured. There is great joy. If you're struggling today, understand this, that God, through Jesus Christ, His Son, as He was executed and hung on that cruel Roman cross, His love really did run red, amen? And the love and the joy for the joy that was set before Him, Hebrews endured the cross, despising the shame, didn't just stop. That joy didn't just stop there. Oh no, that joy extends as He presents you, the true believer, faultless. What a glorious thought. Well, if you're down today, if you're discouraged, if you're in the dumps, if you're even having a pity party, think about this. If you are truly in Christ, if it's real, if it's true, He's going to present you with joy. Wow. Hard to understand. In my finite mind. But so true. Write down key number two. So important. Key number two. Write it down in your notes. Here it is. Key number two. 
the only way to be presented sinless is to be presented by someone who is sinless. And this someone is Jesus Christ and him alone. Let me say that again to make sure this is sinking in deep. This is a wow, aha moment. Here it is, key number two, write it down. The only way to be presented sinless is to be presented by someone who is sinless. And this someone is Jesus Christ and him alone. There is no other. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And God so loved the world that he gave, he sacrificed, he literally executed his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, not a passive intellectual faith, but a faith that is alive and real, a heart that's been radically rescued, a heart that's been transformed, a heart that's been changed. As we believe in him, we will not perish. Now we will have everlasting life. I mean, think about it. The only way to be presented faultless is for someone to bear the fault. I mean, think about this. Not overly complicated, The only way to be presented as faultless is for someone to bear that fault. And you think about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, the horrific execution, the brutality of what he did in my stead and your stead as you place your faith and trust in him and turn your life over to him. It's absolutely astounding what he did on our behalf. If you're here today, if you're listening right now, and you are trying some other way other than Jesus, you're trying to circumvent Jesus, you're saying, hey, okay, I think I do need something. I just don't want Jesus. And you're trying to get around Jesus to get to the Father. You're trying to get around Jesus to find true joy. You're trying to get around Jesus to have that peace and that contentment that you so desperately crave. Anything and everything that you try other than Jesus will continue to lead you on that road called nowhere. Vanity, vanity. All. All is vanity. And if you are on that road, you got to ask yourself right now, how long will I continue to pursue nothing? If you're on that road right now, at some point you got to look in the mirror and ask yourself, how long? How long will I continue to pursue nothing? Because nothing plus nothing continues to equal nothing. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. All is meaningless. If it's not based and anchored in Jesus Christ. Think about Philippians. Write this down. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. Write this down, Philippians 3, 8 through 9. Here's what Paul writes to support this theme of being presented faultless, of standing in Christ, of exceeding joy and exaltation, not just for us, but that Christ has exaltation as he presents us. Here it is, Philippians chapter 3, 8 through 9. Paul writes, Yet indeed I also count all things lost, For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I love that. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ. I love this. 
Look at verse 9. And be found in him and be found in Jesus, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Do you get this? Are you catching this, church? Are you listening? Are you tuned up? Listen up, listen up. Are you dialed in? We will be presented in Christ's righteousness as the new man, the new woman, totally complete in Christ. Wow, that's awesome. John 14, 6 tells us, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Definite article, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus says. Acts 4.12 tells us that there's no other name, there's no other name that we can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this concept earlier this week and couldn't help but remember that when my four children were born, not at the same time, but when they were individually born over the span of years, in every instance... When they were born, at some point, whether in the hospital room, whether behind the glass, or right there in the maternity ward, wherever it might have been there in the hospital, at some point, at some point, it wasn't that I was showing they were sinless, but let me tell you this, as their dad, as their father, I presented them with exultation, with joy unspeakable, with joy that was out of this world. The smile on my face from ear to ear saying, look, look at this son, look at this son, look at that son, look at this daughter. Oh, look at them. I am basking with joy and pride, and glorious happiness from the Lord in my child, in my children. Take that to the infinite spiritual extreme when Jesus Christ presents you, presents me. We stand in Him. We fall on His righteousness. He has great joy, great exaltation as we have surrendered all of our lives to Him to be used for His praise, to be used for His glory. So as Jude winds up the text in verse 25, look where the focus again resides. Look at this in verse 25 of Jude. To God our Savior, who alone is wise. To God, to Theos, our Savior, our soter, where we get our soteriology, our doctrine of what? Our doctrine of salvation. To God, our Savior, He's the one that does the saving. And what is He? He is wise, and oh, by the way, He alone is wise. Like there's no one else that is jockeying for the wise trophy in God's economy. Uh, there's no one even in a close second place. No, God alone, it is God alone. Literally, it means this, only one. Not just a option, 
uh, not just the best option. No, God alone is wise. There is no one else that is wise, but only our great God who we serve, who we live for, who we love. And what does that mean to be wise? Well, it's just simply wisdom-filled. So to Theos, our great God, right now, oh God, we, we look to you. We run to you. We love you. You're the one we live for because you alone are wise. But the world is trying to suck us in. The world is trying to confound us with its wisdom, which is not wisdom. See, that's why we got to be on our guard. And I want you to write down number three, key number three. Here's key number three. Don't miss this. Key number three, write it down. If we are searching for wisdom, we will only find it in God, our Savior, period. I know that seems like a dumb moment. I get it. But don't we miss this? So many times we miss the duh moments of our spiritual life, don't we? They just seem like duh. But if they're so duh, why aren't we living it? If it's really that easy, if it's really that prominent, if it's really that elementary, why aren't we living it? See, to God alone, who is wise. And I get it, it sounds exclusive. Well, it is. Talk about a dumb moment. It is exclusive. If you're looking for wisdom, you're not going to find it in anything that the world has to offer. You won't find it in a book that a human has written that is not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Our wisdom that we crave resides in God and Him alone, period. we got to get back to God. If we really want to get our country straightened out, we just need to turn back to God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will heal their land, not the other way around. Hear God, heal our land, hear from heaven. Right now, God, we'll think about praying. We'll think about seeking you. We'll think about repenting. No, that's not how this works. It's high time that we get back to God because he alone is wise. Everything else is a fool's errand. That's why 1 Corinthians, write this down, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 through 31 says this. Paul writes to that church in Corinth that struggled so deeply. He said, but of him, capital H, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom. From God. Did you catch that? And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Verse 31, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Did you catch that? Oh, what a beautiful text that is. See, the wisdom's from God. How about Colossians? Write this down. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Write it down. Here it is. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. See, Paul is in great turmoil as he's writing to those folks in Colossae. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, 
that their hearts may be encouraged, awesome, being knit together in love, fantastic, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, perfect, both of the Father and of Christ. This is absolutely glorious. But look at verse 3. In whom are hidden all, all, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Boom, period. Mic drop. There it is. There it is. If you're looking for wisdom, you're looking for knowledge, it's all wound up. It all originates in God. Our great God and Father, it all originates in Him. If you're looking anywhere else, you may find something that looks like wisdom, but I promise you this, what you find will not be wisdom. Matter of fact, what does Scripture say about where wisdom begins? Let's drill one level deeper. Well, write down Proverbs 9, verse 10. Pretty easy to remember if you can count. How many people in the room can count? Raise your hand. Okay, we got a few people that can count. We got a whole bunch that can't. Okay, that's a whole nother sermon. Well, it's really easy to remember. Proverbs 9, verse 10. Proverbs 9, verse 10. 7, 8, 9, 10. Pretty easy, huh? Well, what does it say? Here's what the Word says. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wow. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you want wisdom today, start fearing the Lord in holy awe and reverence. Put Him first. Put Him where He belongs in your life. Don't put him second. Don't put him third. Don't try to fit him in on your calendar. Don't try to fit him into your schedule. No, have him become your schedule. Have him take over your schedule. Have your schedule revolve around him. Have your life revolve around him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you're looking for wisdom and you're not beginning with the fear of the Lord, you will never find wisdom. And so because of this divine miracle of our eternal rescue. Picture that, church. Because of this divine miracle that we're faultless, that we're standing in Him, He's able to do it. He alone is wise. Because of this divine miracle of our eternal rescue, here's the last that is said in the book of Jude at the end of 25. Be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And all God's people said amen, amen, and amen. Wow. Be glory. Be praise. Be worship. Where's your praise today? Where's your worship? Who or what is the object of your praise or your worship? Because who or what is the object of your praise or worship will be who or what you are enslaved to. See, to God be all the glory. Be all majesty, divinity, and splendor. Dominion, 
No, for you that live around here, this is not some electric company. No, Dominion. Oh, no, it's something much greater than that. Oh, there's power here. Amen to that. Not some electric company. No, Dominion. It literally is this. It's vastness of might. Vastness of vigor. There is dominion. He has all glory. He has all splendor and majesty. Take it to the bank. That check will cash. Our God has all dominion. He has all power, all authority, capacity. For how long? Both for now and forevermore. Well, that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? So he's got all of this. He's got the glory. He's got the praise, the worship. He's got the majesty, the divinity, the splendor. He's got the dominion, the vastness of might and vigor. He's got all the power, the authority, the capacity. How long does he have it? He's got it right now. He's had it from eternity past, and he's got it forever into the future. And what do we say to that church? Man, we say, as Jude said, amen. In other words, we agree, so be it. Amen, amen, and amen. See, that's why key number four, your last key, is so important. Key number four, here it is. Key number four. The glory, majesty, dominion, and power of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son will never diminish nor ever end. Let me say that again. Well, if you're down today, take this one to the bank. Here it is. Key number four, the glory, the majesty, the power, the dominion, and power of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son will never diminish, nor ever end. Praise be to God, amen. You say, I'm hearing you, but can you give me some verses that back that up? Well, write down Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, 11 through 13. Here it is, Revelation 5, 11 through 13. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Just picture this. Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. Got your calculator ready for that one? And thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, can you imagine 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands? Can you imagine the vocal ability of that group? And they're saying with a loud voice, can you imagine Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Can you imagine how loud this is? And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and even such that are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, wow, are you picturing this one? Every creature every creature in heaven, on the earth, 
under the earth, in the sea. Every creature is proclaiming and shouting blessing and honor and glory and power be to him, capital H, to him, capital H, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, capital L, forever and ever. Amen, amen, and amen. Praise be to God, amen, for his glory, for his power, for his majesty, his dominion, that is just not for a season. It didn't happen just in eternity past. It didn't happen even just now. But his power and glory and majesty and dominion are both for now and forevermore and will never come to an end. What does that do for you and me, the true child of the King? Oh, I pray that we now have a boldness and a confidence to not bend, not buckle, not break, because you've got to understand here that here in Jude, these last two verses that we've just studied, and as we concluded this book, here Jude is, he's bringing to a closure, he's tying the bow on the present, on the gift of the book called Jude, and here he is in 24 and 25, and he shifts gears back to his original intent in verse 3, and now he is writing about their common salvation. He's finally getting back to this. He's warned us about the apostasy. He's warned us about those that have these traits and these characteristics. He's warned us, he's warned us, and now he brings everything to a glorious crescendo. And he says, here's the gift I want to give you. Now to him who is able, now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we've ever hoped, dreamed, or imagined. Boy, that gives me confidence. It gives me great encouragement for the dark nights of the soul that we all go through. That's why lastly, here's the takeaway question. Write it down. Introspective question. Again, not a time to gather our belongings and, hey, we're almost out of here, but let's really think about what the Word of God has spoken to our lives today and our hearts and our souls and our minds. And here's the question. Does my life reflect that I'm working to advance the gospel or to hinder it. Think about that for a moment. Not what we say, not what I say, but does my life, let me use an example, does my life, I'll put myself on the spot here, does my life, how I live and conduct my life, especially Monday through Saturday, boy, it's real easy to put on the church face, isn't it? The church attitude, boy, the church behavior, the church outfit, and then we get home on Sunday afternoon and we take all that off and we go back to living in the flesh Monday through Saturday. No, does my life, does your life, does it reflect? Is there a reflection here that I am working to advance, to promote the gospel, to move the needle, to move the gospel forward to the utter ends of the earth? Does my life do that and does your life do that? See, Jude has warned us, he's warned us that these certain men and women will creep in very slowly, very methodically into the home and into the church. And they're actually, when the masks are pulled off, they're actually enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we must be on our guard. We must guard what God has entrusted to us against these people and 
against us joining them in their folly. Oh, we got to be careful that we're not deceived, that we don't go down the road they're going on and partake in the folly that they're partaking in. Because as was once said, when the wolf gets into the sheep's pen, who decides what's for lunch? We must be vigilant. We must be on our guard. The enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's why our action step in conclusion is simply this. Here it is. Write it down. Action step. I will choose today, like right now, to look to Christ and no longer look to self. Write this down. Action step as we close. I will choose today, right now, to look to Christ and no longer to self. Because the reality is we often rationalize and justify the very sins we are secretly struggling with, amen? Let's no longer do that. Let's bring everything into the light where there's healing and freedom, and let's watch God work. Let's watch Him work. You say, why should we do that? Well, I know this. That Scripture is clear, and I believe in Scripture. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen, amen, and amen. Oh, Father, we love you. Thank you for this glorious study in the book of Jude. God, we just lift up holy hands. We lift up holy hearts and we lift up holy minds to you. Just raising them to you in one accord. Saying, not unto us, not unto us, O God. But to your name we give glory. To you we worship. To you we fall down and say, oh, there is none like you. To you we want to live for to you we want to obey. To you we want to surrender. To you we want to please. It's all about you, God. It's all about you. It's all about you, oh God. Oh God, take your word. Drive it deep into the wellspring of our hearts, our souls, and our minds. Don't allow us to be the same as we entered in here today. And God, to you be the praise. God, to you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.